Everybody in the, are you in the Christmas spirit this morning? Yes? A couple of you, two or three of you? Well, for those, those who, who are, I'm going to effectively try to kill that this morning. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about consumerism today. And the reason I'm doing that is because we're in the middle of a, a, a mini-series that we're doing for Christmas called Guilt, Guilt-Free Christmas. Um, and, and what we know is that just statistically, this is the time of year that people really uh, feel the most, most guilty uh, for, for a wide range of reasons. And, and through our studies and talks, we, we kind of believe that we can narrow that down to three factors, individualism, consumerism, and materialism. And so we just kind of wanted to hit each of those subjects the best we could. Um, maybe give some filters on how to, how to look through uh, the, the opposite lens of individualism, consumerism, materialism as we go into this Christmas season so that it's not a time of guilt for us, but, but rather a time of what it's supposed to be, of joy, of relationship, of friendship, and fellowship. So um, I'm going to be talking about consumerism today. There's a couple things I want to... Uh, to couple preliminary statements I want to give before we get into it. Um, One of those is that consumerism is not just about stuff, okay? While it does absolutely uh, deal with materialism, it's it's not just about that. You can consume anything. You can consume church. We see that happen all the time. People come to church based off of what they get out of it. Or the, the common phrase is, if they get fed. But there is nothing in the Bible. There, there's a lot of responsibility that the Bible will put on church leaders. One of them is not feeding you. Um, but we see people do that. They will, they will come to church to consume. Or, um, uh, or we, we do that with children's ministry. For some reason, we think the Bible somewhere in there. Maybe it's like an amendment to the, the Ten Commandments that, that it's the church's responsibility to train our kids. So we bring our kids here to, to get biblical education. And then we go do sports at home. But that's... That's, that's consuming. And so we see that in um, the pursuit of uh, ideas. We see that in the pursuit of success. Uh, we will actually consume people in order to make myself more successful. So consumerism is not just uh, a material issue. Okay? Um, consumerism is not a Western issue. While it absolutely happens in the West, I mean, our entire economy is based on money that doesn't exist. And, and, and the truth is, Every one of us on an individual level will consume as much energy today as 370 Ethiopians. So it's, it's definitely a Western issue, but it's, it's, it's not just a Western issue. It's, a, it's an issue that has plagued humanity uh, from the beginning. So, so on saying that, um, the other thing is, even though we're talking about consumerism, I'm not asking you not to consume. You have to consume to be a human. You're consuming air right now. You have to consume, consume food. So in the talk today, if you hear me say things like consuming or consumerism or so on and so on, the, the grid to look at that would be much like we think of being drunk compared to alcohol. Are, are you with me? It's, 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 even the Bible talks about like consuming a, a good wine as something that can bring merriment to the soul. But you take that too far to excess and you've got a drunk issue. And that's the same with consuming. We're all going to do it. We have to do it. Um, But to take that too far, you get into uh, consumerism. Um, The other thing is, is I have been all over the page on this subject, trying to figure out. In fact, I was talking to John Church a couple weeks ago, asking him, where are you at on this materialism thing? And he's like, man, I'm I'm all over the page. And I I was too, because there's so many different angles you can can come at. Um, One of the angles I was going to come at was... uh, 
talking about human slavery. In fact, that's something our church is really um, starting to work in. We showed a great film the other night uh, talking about how just all the different fingers of our lives are some way kind of well, perpetuating it. And I thought, well, I mean, and that comes from our consumption and consuming. So I thought about that idea. I thought about just giving you a, here's how to consume right uh, through, through the Christmas holidays. Um, but, but, the pro- but what I ended up with is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like this. Have you ever noticed that, uh, and this, this isn't a blanket for everybody, but for the most part, if you try to get someone to quit smoking, nine times out of 10, uh, they, they end up, they might quit smoking, but they gain weight. Right? And, and, and the problem is because we, we took care of this, the surface. We just didn't, take, we didn't help them take care of the addiction issue. So they just pointed their addiction somewhere else. Okay? And that's kind of like consumerism. If we just go through the idea of buying or not buying stuff, uh, because we are consumerists at our core, uh, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just say, okay, we won't point consumerism here. We're just going to turn it and point it elsewhere. Um, and so I kind of thought it would be better to get to the core of that. And I think the best way to get to the core of that is to look at it through the lens of the gospel. So there are many different ways we could have gone, um, and I kind of wanted to go. But I, I think that if we build the foundation of here's what consumerism is according to the gospel, then I, I think we're all smart enough to take it from there and say, okay, this is how my life plays, plays into that. So the way this is going to work, in case I bore you, you fall asleep and wake up in the middle, you kind of realize where we're at. Um, I want to give a foundational statement of what consumerism is, okay, on on how I'm approaching it this morning. Uh, From there, I want to um, just paint the picture through Scripture on uh, what the Bible says the state of humanity is. And the question we're going to go off of is, how did we get here? And the only way to find that out is to go to the gospel. Now, the gospel does not start with Jesus came and died. That's like halfway through. The gospel is the entire story of God in humanity. So I want to kind of journey through that quickly. And then when we get to the end of that, we'll see how God responded to our consumerism nature. And then what I want to do is just kind of give you some filters to use. So then we're going to get real practical. Give you some filters to use. Um, so when you go out and you begin to purchase, you begin to consume for the holiday season, you can look or make your decisions through these uh, filters. You with me? That's a long journey, so we've got a lot to cover. There's a lot of information, but I, I think we'll, hopefully we'll get there. So, okay, here's what consumerism is, and I think this is in your notes. Consumerism is the belief that my identity is established through the consuming of some element to the detriment of self and others. Consumerism is the belief that my identity is established through the consuming of some element to the detriment of self and others. Okay, that that phrase has three major elements in it. Number one, it's obvious consumerism is not a money issue first. It's an identity issue. This is what I mean by that is there are going to be several parents who are going to go buy their kids gifts based on the fact that they think that will make their kids love them more. There will be several men this Christmas will go out and buy themselves something based on the fact that they believe it will make them more of a man. And so when it comes to consumerism, the key issue is not money, although it it is involved in that. The key issue is that some way we believe our identity is tied to that which we are consuming. 
The next one is uh, that we consume something, uh, some element, at the detriment of self. Here's what else is going to happen this, this Christmas. It's probably going to happen here no matter how much we say it. We are going to, as a nation, as a people, and as a person, go into more debt in the next few weeks than, than we will any other time of the year. We will consume stuff at the detriment of self. We will put our family in a bind. We will, we will strap us down financially to the fact that we can't even enjoy life for the rest of the year because we want the stuff. Okay? Again, consumerism is not just about stuff or money, but it's, it's about identity. Okay? So then you have to the detriment of self. But here's, I wanted to push that a little further, especially when we've looked through issues like slavery, um, is that a lot of times when people are trying to help somebody get over the issue of, say, obesity, here's what they do. Let's get them from obesity to thin, and then we're good. And Americans do that a lot. Let's just go, I won't go into the political stuff, okay. So let's just get them to thin, and we're fine. But the issue is, that's not, that's not healthy. We, we need to get them from obese to thin to healthy, okay. And so we could literally go out and buy stuff this holiday season and really say, my identity is not tied to that. And I can say that, I can say that absolutely true I, i'm my identity and then we could say you know what and i'm just going to buy according to my budget we're not going to put we're not going to put our family uh in in debt or we're not going to do anything to the determinant of of my family but but let's go that extra let's go from just being uh not obese to to actually healthy but everything you buy is involved in a line called a supply chain we are at the end of that at the beginning, that is another story, is another human. You will never meet this human. And they created whatever it is you're buying for them. I mean, for you, okay? But here's the deal. What a lot of us don't know and don't take the time to think about, because we just think about us, which is in itself consumerism, is that every time we spend a dollar, it is not neutral. It is going to be towards the detriment, meaning you will further the enslavement of that person, because a profit made, or it is to the betterment of an ethical society. Consumers, while consumerism is bad on one end, the truth is consumers have the power. Especially for the beginning of the supply chain. We get to decide on what we are investing in. Okay? So those are, the, those are kind of the three cores. Identity, detriment of self, and others. So... Again, before identity is a money issue, before it is a stuff issue, it is an identity issue. But I want to push that a little far further and say that even be, because it's an identity issue, consumerism is a worship issue. And here, here's why. Now, now, we do worship different. Like we showed up to worship. And then we will leave and no longer worship. And then we will come back next Sunday and we will worship and then we will go out and do our own thing. And then, so today we, we came to do worship and then we will leave Monday. We will leave and we will go to our jobs on Monday and we will no longer be worshiping because we will be relying on self to accomplish the deadline or, or whatever. Okay? So when you look at worship like that, you can't really tie the two. But, but here's what we have to understand. When you look at the way the Bible was written and the way uh, the ancient, or ancients understood worship from whether it was a Yahweh perspective or a pagan perspective, what they actually believed was that our, my, your entire identity was tied to that which I worshipped. They, be, they believed that. So they believed their welfare, their security, uh, everything about them was tied to that which they worship. In short, 
they were who they were, not because of what they purchased, but because of what they worshipped. And everything existed. So if identity is at its... So if, I'm sorry, so if consumerism at its core is an identity issue, if we understand worship according to the biblical understanding, consumerism is a worship issue. It comes down to who or what you and I are worshiping. So, when you see consumerism through the idea of worship, we find that, I believe this is in your notes, consumerism is the act of worshiping the idol of a created element. Consumerism is the act of worship to the idol of a created element. Now, if you've been part of our series in Romans, you, you, we've already gone over this verse and this next passage I'm going to read. In fact, I'm the one who, who taught on it. But I think if you understand worship and consumption through this lens together, then it brings a whole new meaning to what we read in Romans 1. Let me go ahead and read that. It says, they, it's talking about the state of humanity, us, me and you. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, as God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Notice in this text, it starts off with what's going on here, is it it prefaces or bookends this, or starts this, with the idea of what we're getting ready to read about is worshipful acts. Are you, are you with me? It's saying, this is how man began to worship created things. Okay, so, and then as you continue to read, if you break it down, what you find are almost this progressive segments of what we might call uh, sin. And, it, and what, what is happening is you find humanity searching for an identity that for some reason they have lost. Okay? And so... We have in us this need for this identity to be established. So we begin to look through, look for it or establish it by consuming something, someone or something. And what happens is it it fulfills for a little bit. And then it does not satisfy the identity. All of a sudden we realize with smoke and mirrors, it's gone. So we go to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. And before you know it, we've destroyed society. We've destroyed culture because of our need to consume to establish some identity. Okay? So, to understand how we got to this idea or this stage where it is, we're consuming to, to, uh, to establish an identity, to understand how we got there, we need to go back to the very beginning and figure out where this came from, who God is in all this, and who humanity is in all this. So, here's a, here's a non-trick question. Before creation, before anything existed, who was there? God, right? Right? It's not hard. God existed. This is what it... And so, so here's what we know. So that tells us one thing about God. Number one, he was not created. He always was. Or he always... Yeah, how do you say that? He always was? Yeah, okay. Um, he... he uh, so n- not only that, not only is God never created, but this is the one that kind of gets me. God doesn't evolve. In other words, after we were created, 
he didn't become more worthy. He didn't need or receive even more love. His identity did not get better. So even before any of us were created, God was everything and received everything that he would ever need in order to be God. He was all in all and completely sufficient without us. You with me? Okay. So this is who God is. Then we know that the next act, so, so God is existing in, I don't know, nothing, I guess. I don't know how to even imagine that. But he's, he's uh, existing as completely sufficient in and of himself without any need whatsoever. And then he begins to create. The Bible lets us know he creates the heavens and the earth and he creates everything uh, very beautifully and he creates the landscapes and the celestial beings and so on and so on. And then because he is the one who needs nothing else outside of himself to bestow identity or worth on him, because he is that person and because he is the creator, he has the right, and nobody else can say anything against it, he has the right to bestow whatever worth and identity he chooses to bestow on something. And so he creates everything and he bestows an identity on it. He says it is good. And what that really means is it is right. In other, in, in other words, let's... It, it functions exactly how I want it to function. And everything it does is perfect, beautiful, and right. And I don't know how you get more right than right, but God does. And so he's not, he, he like sets it all up and then he creates the pinnacle of it all, his masterpiece, humanity. And the first time we see the word not good is when he creates us alone. Then he creates us in community. He bestows on us an identity called the image of God. This is what it means to be human. It doesn't mean anything else. And he says it is very good. And, in other, and, and to, to look up what that means, it's, it's being right or being excellent with a force. There's something behind it that goes beyond whatever excellent already means. And so he bestows on us this title or this identity of image of God and nothing else gets it. Nothing else gets that title. But here's the thing. Just like God in and of himself is the fullness of all meaning, the fullness of identity, the fullness of all that is good and doesn't need anything else to add to that because it can't add to that. Humanity and creation is the exact opposite. We are in and of ourselves nothing worthless and empty until God decides to bestow on us this identity. And we need him, we need that relationship with him to keep that identity. Identity being the image of God. That word image means to make the unknown known, the unseen seen, or the invisible visible. So what? It, so I will save you from all of the books at Barnes & Noble that says this is what it means to be human because it sums it up for us. The identity, the worth, the value of what it means to be human is to spend our lives making the unknown known, the unseen seen, or the visible visible. This is what it means to be human. Outside of that, there is no value. And so when we remove ourselves from that, God has created us to need this identity. We go on this consuming journey to reestablish that. So, in your notes, let's, before I get ahead of myself... God is complete in and of himself. He is the totality of all value, 
worth, and love. Humanity has no identity or value in and of himself except that which is bestowed upon him as the image of God. God is, the complete, is complete in and of himself. He is the totality of all value, worth, and love. Humanity has no identity or value in and of himself except that which is bestowed upon him as the image of God. So this is the way God created. This is the order uh, of all things. The Jews called this shalom. Shalom used to mean much more than some great cozy inner feeling, but it, it just meant the right function of everything. And at this point in time, we don't need law to make it work right because everything is bound together in perfect relationship. Us getting our full identity from God and being that identity to the rest of creation. And this, it functions this way and it's beautiful. And the Bible tells us Man actually walked with God, not had to guess, am I hearing from God or not? Did I get the right goosebumps? But actually walked with him and knew him. And so our response to that was we decided uh, the identity you gave us, not good enough. Because what, what the Bible says is that it wasn't good, it doesn't... It wasn't good enough to just be made in the image, but we wanted to be like him in all we knew. In other words, we wanted to be equal to who he was. And so the first act to get us there was the act of consumption. We believed that if I consumed this, it would reestablish a new identity. But that's not what happened. Because what happens, what happens when man who is in and of himself nothing decides to subvert and push God off the throne of that which is everything and set on that throne. Well, what happens is we don't actually establish a good identity. We establish what the Bible calls the identity of flesh. Flesh is not always talking about our skin, but rather a new image of sin. And this image always leaves us lacking and always leaves us wanting, and we can never get back to here. In fact, if you notice, the, the first act Adam and Eve did, have you ever... Have you ever thought of this? Um, this? This one used to get me that Adam and Eve, I don't know how long they were in the garden before, before the rebellion. I, I, there's, there's a bunch of speculation, but I, I don't know. But here's what I know, is that the whole time they spent in the garden, they were naked. And then all of a sudden, they eat an apple, and now they're ashamed of being naked. And I always thought, what? That's weird. Did God, like, have some fake clothes on them or something? I mean, I didn't, that was, that was weird. But, but what, it, what it says is, uh, they were ashamed. And, I, that, and the reason I didn't understand it is because I thought that meant like embarrassed. I'm like, how are you embarrassed? You've been seeing a girl naked for like, I don't know how long. But, but how, why are you embarrassed? But here's what, here's what it, remember, our identity was the Imago Dei. It was the image of God. We saw all of God's glory in man. But that word uh, ashamed, while it, while it contains embarrassment, it's embarrassment because no longer does man uh, reveal the honor of God but now rather man is dishonored and for the first time they saw that in each other. And they didn't know what to do. So they don't, they don't turn and repent to God and say, uh, would, you, would you, you know, transform us back? They actually go consume some more, don't they? They go without God's help and they get fig leaves to try to make it right, to, to reestablish that identity. And, and it doesn't work. In fact, God has, to, God has to show them right away from the very beginning you can't establish this identity. He has to go give them the clothes that he wants them to have. In fact, if you go, 
you go back and read Genesis 3 through 12 through the lens of Romans 1, what, what you find is this, this really this history of humanity in which we continue to consume, to find an identity starting with fig leaves, but ending in Romans, uh, and sorry, in Genesis 12 with the consumption of entire cultures. And then God says, this is messed up. So he destroys it all. All for the need to establish an identity. But see, this isn't just some ancient text telling us what it used to be like. I mean, this is the way it is now. As I said at the beginning, we consume church. We consume success. We consume stuff to try to recreate this identity that we long for only to find out we never can achieve it so we continue to consume more. So, just as, just as we responded to God's generosity with, uh, with evil or consumerism, which God could have done, he could have destroyed us as a response, but God doesn't respond that way. God responds by sending Jesus to be to be the new man, to be the example. In fact, Coloss- uh, Colossians actually says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you remember what I said our identity was supposed to be? The image of God. So Jesus, God sends Jesus as a response to live in such a way that we can look back on and say, this is what it looks like to live not by consumerism, but, but to live according to generosity. See, in fact, and we'll, We'll unpack that, but let's, in your notes. Jesus, when Jesus comes, Jesus reestablishes our identity as the image of God, and because of that identity, is able to live a life of generosity rather than consumerism. Remember, remember how Jesus starts off? He doesn't go do all these miracles, and then the Father looks down and say, I'm pleased because you accomplished, because you succeeded. He doesn't build a big church. Heck, he doesn't build a big following, really. Yet, unlike Adam, Jesus accepts the identity that's bestowed upon him, and it never affects what he does after that as far as him knowing who he is. Everything he does from the point of God looking down on his son and saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased before he accomplishes anything, everything he does flows freely out of that. And so Jesus subverts this new consumerism that we have established back to this idea of generosity. In fact, if if you look at Jesus' life, what you see is that because of Jesus' identity, he never consumes at the expense of others like we do. Rather, he sacrifices for the benefit of others. Image of God, which is what we're supposed to be, which is the example to us. To not consume at the expense of others, rather sacrifice for the benefit of others. He's setting the example. Jesus could have come in all his power and glory and authority and demanded people to bow at his feet. But instead, he empties himself of all of that in order to raise people up to be with him. As rich Westerners, because that's what we are, we can demand that the world do what we want them to do, and we can demand that we have the right to buy what we want to buy. Or, like Jesus, we can empty ourselves of that right and raise people up with the way we handle our consumption. In the Bible, and specifically 2 Corinthians 8, 2, um, it, it talks about generosity. And when you study the root of that, just like consumerism is not about money, while it does have to do with money, 
generosity also is not about money, though it, it will affect the way we deal with our money. Generosity is actually based on this Greek idea that Paul's writing about on, on, on two, two issues kind of colliding, and that is the issue of liberation and simplicity. In other words, because of who I am in God, I am free to live outside of the bonds of consumerism to live simply for the good of others. I can live simply because I don't need the stuff to define who I am. I get to be a man because of who God says I am and my relationship with him, not because of what I own or what I can do or so on and so on. I get to be a father, not because I can buy the same gifts that everyone else can buy for their kids, but because of who God says I am to my children. And whether I spend $10 at Christmas or $2,000 at Christmas, it doesn't affect my identity as a father or a man. This is the idea of generosity. I get to live a simple life. I'm free to do that for the benefit of others. So let's land the plane a little bit. Let's go to something practical. Here's what I want to do. Because that's all theoretical and way out here and how do I do what now? So, as I said at the beginning, we're coming into the season in which we are going to spend more money than we will the rest of the year combined. We talked about how that there is uh, two sides of the supply chain. There's the recipients and the purchasers, and then there's the, the producers. And so what I, what I want to do is just kind of give you a couple filters to, to, to think or to keep with you as you go out and purchase this, this holiday season. Number one is this. Our consumption must flow out of our identity, not be used to create it. Our consumption, because we can't help but consume, it's, we're humans, we have to. Our consumption must flow out of our identity, not be used to create it. So going back to our definition of consumerism, number two is... Don't allow any of your consumerism this holiday be to the detriment of yourself or others, ra- rather the benefit, rather to the benefit, based on these two questions. And I'd, I would ask you, as you go shop, this is very practical, ask yourself these two, these two filter questions as you begin to buy something. Number one, how does my consumption affect the recipients and or purchasers of this gift? Meaning this, we're ready, you ready? We're going to live on the edge of this Christmas. Okay, we're going to go nuts. And if it causes you to go in debt, don't buy it. Uh-oh. Crazy, huh? If it causes you to go in debt, don't buy it. Just say no. Or, or here's another question. Maybe it doesn't cause you to go in debt, but if you think your identity has been heightened because of it, don't buy it. If you think your kids will love you more because you buy it, have a really good talk with them and then don't purchase the item. And show them that, that the father-son, the father-daughter, the mother-son, the mother-daughter relationship has nothing to do with what we own, but everything to do with who we are in God. And then, as I talked about a little bit at the beginning, how does my consumption, this is the thought that we, we rarely have. How does my consumption affect the producers of the gift? I'll, I'm going to restate what I said at the beginning, but here's the deal. There is no neutrality in your purchasing this Christmas. None. You might be able to do it 
without an identity issue. You might be able to do it without going in debt. But at the other end of the supply chain, you are affecting the life of another person. And usually the guiding factor this holiday season is what is cheap and what is the best deal. I have a friend, Shelton Green, and he says this. He goes, I, I, I choose love over the lowest price. And what he means is when he goes into a store to buy anything, he's going to buy doing the best he can to love the person on the other end as opposed to a lower price to benefit his family. And that's how he's going to make his decisions and everything he buys. And I don't think that's too hard for us to do. It might mean you have to buy less because it's more expensive, but I think maybe we could all afford to buy less. So now going real practical, well, how do you do that? that that's a great filter question, but how do, you, how do you know if you're buying in love or not? We've tried to do something. With some, some of the people in the congregation have, have actually spearheaded this for us. But we have in the back on that table, I'm going to ask you to take one per family because I, I think we might be close to running out. We have what we have called a naughty and nice list. It's small enough to fit in your wallet to take with you. And on one side is the nice list, meaning that from the best that we've been able to study, research, and whatever, we can't find... Uh, slavery in the supply chain. So when you go purchase that, you are actually benefiting or forwarding an ethical society. On the flip side is the naughty list. Meaning that somewhere in that supply chain, they have used slave labor to create the toys, the chocolate, the coffee, the food, the closer, etc., etc., that you and I will consume this holiday. What I would ask you to do as a person who would love to see every human being free, is don't buy what's on that list. Don't make an excuse and say, yeah, it's only one person. Because it all, here, this wasn't in notes. Let me, let me, they, they said this on the film, so this isn't, this isn't original. But the slave trade of the 1800s died because 12 men decided they could do it. 12, that's it. And ending the slave trade then was like us deciding today, let's just kill the automobile industry. And what they didn't say on the film was how these 12 people decided to do it. They were, they were, for the most part, all Quakers. And they got their Quaker congregation to not run in like brave men and rescue these people. They said, let's just stop buying sugar. That was it. Stop buying sugar. But my tea won't be sweet. But it's the life of a person. I've had people actually say that. But then I can't eat chocolate. You probably don't need it then. Um, I shouldn't say that. Uh, but they just, they just stopped buying sugar. Twelve people. I, I just am stupid enough to believe that if, if us and then our friends that we influence would say, let's just buy ethically this holiday, that we, we could begin to make a difference in slavery in the world. So here's the deal. What it means to be human is to be the image of God. Jesus is that image who came to set us free. So when we buy this Christmas, let's buy like we really are the image of God who believes in the freedom of every human being. Let's pray.